You need to decide what your goal is, sweetheart. Do you want to be a boozer <laughs> on the footloose uh, floor, or do you want to lose weight and get healthy? Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away, the Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit ChantelRayWay.com slash podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching, and Inner Circle Facebook group. Remember, the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Ray Way on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com slash coaching. As always, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode, and today's guest is the host of an amazing show, La Vida Low Carb Podcast, which I appeared on recently. I had such a blast. He's also the co-host of Keto Talk with Dr. Will Cole, and he's authored several books, including Keto Clarity, Cholesterol Clarity, and The Complete Guide to Fasting, which he co-authored with Dr. Jason Fung, which is absolutely one of my favorite books and you have a new project real food keto uh, which you wrote with your wonderful wife Christine and I'm so excited we've got both of them on the show today so please welcome Jimmy and Christine Moore hey hey what's going on Hampton Rosian (laughs) Um, now the funny thing is is that you guys have family here in Hampton Roads right to live there actually i went to regent and got my master's degree from there uh and yeah christine was born and raised in the virginia beach area that is so awesome um so for our listeners that don't know you guys tell us a little bit about your personal journeys like how long have you been living la vida low carb and what caused you to start this journey and you know you guys have been quote keto a long time before keto was even a thing So talk about that for a second. So it actually started with me. I, in 2003, weighed 410 pounds. Wow. Prescription medications for high cholesterol, high blood pressure, breathing problems. I was a mess. I was 32 years old and literally a ticking time bomb uh, if I didn't change. But the problem is every time somebody wants to make a change, the default diet is always low fat. And... I had never heard anything other than that from any medical professional, health professional, anybody. Everybody said, eat lean meats, eat more healthy whole grains, do all of these things. And so, and Christine would always try to encourage me, oh, here's a salad, honey, and like all these raw vegetables in it, because that was our perception of what healthy was. But this story does have a Christine element to it, because it was her mom that she did what? Um gave Jimmy a diet book for Christmas. He had given- Mom gave me a diet book for Christmas. Thanks, Mom. Appreciate it. (laughs) And it's like subtle hints telling him he needs to lose weight, like he doesn't know that he needs to lose weight. 
So this one year, <clears throat> it just happened to be Dr. Atkins' new diet revolution. In 2003, right. Yeah, in 2003. Yeah, so I read that book cover to cover from Christmas to New Year's thinking this guy is whacked out of his mind. How in the world do you cut carbs and have any energy? How do you eat more fat and not clog your arteries? The guy's a cardiologist and he's telling people to eat the very thing we know causes heart disease. Remember, all the conventional wisdom just floods in. And people still believe that today, which is why I'm so passionate in my work and you and your work. But uh, I tried it, went on the Atkins diet January 1st, 2004. And so I just passed 15 years of doing this and I had no expectation that anything would happen. And when 30 pounds dropped off my body in the first month, I went, okay, this is, this is kind of cool. The interesting thing to me though was the second month. I had so much energy, I couldn't help but go to the gym. I don't think I'd ever stepped in the gym in my life. And I went in the gym, walked on the treadmill three miles an hour for 10 to 15 minutes. That's not a lot by today's standards. But then it was a huge accomplishment uh, because I had just so much energy coming out of me that I had to get it out. So I ended up uh, shedding 180 pounds that year, coming off of all of those medications, giving up my sugar addiction for good. And it's brought me on this journey that I started the Living La Vida Low Carb blog first, then podcasts, then other podcasts, then books, and now international best-selling author. When you want something sweet, you just you just hug your wife. <laughs> That's all the sweetness I need. Now, the great thing from when I started in 2004 to now is the, the sophistication of the sweeteners have gotten so much better. Um, we use this company, uh, this product called uh, Swerve for, it's basically erythritol whenever we make baked goods. Now we don't bake stuff every day unless it's the holiday season. Uh, so when you need something like that, Swerve fits the bill for erythritol. I think liquid stevia is probably okay if you put it in like your coffee or tea or whatever, um, that that's a pretty decent sweetener. So people think, oh, I have to give up sweet. And of course, then there's natural sweetness in foods that you never thought was there before things like almonds are actually sweet. I never realized it until I gave up sugar and went, wow, these are really sweet. Uh, and of course, fruit is ungodly sweet. I can't even hardly eat even berries now. They're so sweet. Yeah, when you're not used to eating it. When I want something sweet, for me, nuts for whatever reason, either if I have a cup of coffee or if I have nuts, those are the two things that kind of seem to get me off of my that sweet track. And you know what's really interesting? When our brain is being told that we crave sweets, that we crave what I like to call crappy garbage, um, it's not actually wanting the carbs. It's actually desiring fat. And your brain is hardwired to tell you to eat more when you need fat. And so when it says eat more, we hear eat crap. But so we eat the crap and then we're still hungry and the body's saying eat more. It's a ruthless cycle. But when you add in the fat, all that calms down and you get lots of energy and all of that craving for the things you thought you could never live without goes away. Yeah, so let's talk about intermittent fasting for a second. I find that a lot of keto people have been able to easily transition into intermittent fasting and vice versa. Can you talk a little bit about how the two are related? I, I will, and I definitely want you to hear Christine's story because hers is not a weight loss story, but it's an incredible health journey. So, um, yeah, keto is the natural progression into intermittent fasting. A lot of people say, well, maybe I need to fast first 
before I go keto, I'm like, no, not unless you like pain. Uh, <laughs> usually people that go keto get fully keto adapted and they don't have to start consciously thinking about fasting. They just do it. Uh, right now I'm doing a carnivore experiment where all I'm eating is meat just to see what happens. And one of the interesting things that happened on day one of it was I ate my last meal at 2.30 and I was not hungry again until 11.30 the next day. That's 21 hours that I didn't eat. Did I have to like plan that I was going to fast for that long? No, it just happened naturally within the course of eating no carbohydrates. Well, you guys have a lot going on between your podcast and your books and your YouTube. So what's, if you had to give someone your best one-stop shop that our listeners can follow you on uh, to keep you kind of posted on all the things you're doing, what is that site? And you also need to tell people about your low-carb cruise, which sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, so I um, I have all of my stuff in, in one place. I just rebranded it all here in the new year. So go to livinlavitalowcarb.com. Um, if you, if that's too much to remember, if you Google my name, he literally the first couple of pages is all my stuff. I just means I'm old Chanta. <laughs> that's funny. And what about this low carb cruise? Tell me about that. Yeah. So we started this about 12 years ago. Uh, it just started uh, a group of us wanted to meet each other and we were all in low carb forums at the time. It was predated like social media. And I was like, Hey, you know, let's get this cruise together. And so I was the speaker the first year uh 12 years ago and then we added in uh speakers the next year and it started doing really well and people were like oh okay so we did an official conference and we've done that every year now ever since um so uh this year's cruise we have two of them actually the low carb cruise is may the 31st through june the 8th leaving out of port liberty in new jersey and it's eight days where we go down uh, to South Florida and the Caribbean. And on the days that we're at sea is when we have the conference. And everybody's like, oh, the whole boat's uh, low-carb keto. And no, it's not. It's still a cruise. But if you've ever been on a cruise, you know you can choose the meats and the vegetables and the fat to stay pretty darn keto. We also do a Keto 101 cruise in the fall. Uh, what's that, like late September, early October when that one is. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool to – be uh, having fun in the sun and learning about keto all at the same time. That's awesome. All right, Samantha in New Jersey says, I was talking about the keto diet with my girlfriend the other day and she told me that she was doing something called the modified keto diet, which is a lot less restrictive. Are you familiar with this and can you explain it? Is this something you recommend? I, I wanna get Christine to chime in on this because uh, she has a lot, but I, I wanna say one thing first. Yeah modified keto and keto let's just be <laughs> modified from what the original is why is it being modified okay because there's a lot of people that have that have said well this is keto and it has nothing to do with keto let me define keto for you so that you know if a modification is good or bad by definition a ketogenic diet is one that is defined as low in carbohydrates moderate in protein high in fat with mostly real whole foods and periods of intermittent fasting. That is keto. So if you modify it, what are you doing? Raising carbs, raising protein, lowering fat, not eating real food. What do you mean by modified? So that's why I say, Chantel, that there's no way that a modified keto 
it can be even called keto because it's not keto. Well, and here's the thing. In real food keto, we strive to get our food. We encourage people to get their food from real whole food sources because that's where the micronutrition is. Um, we understand that life happens. And for some people, their jobs, they may need a meal replacement shake at, at a certain time. We're all for that. But we've seen a trend and it's kind of disturbing that people are allowing these these products to take the place of real whole food and they're missing out on the micronutrition, which is so important, you know, doing this modified keto, it, like Jimmy said, are you adding in more carbs? You're not being totally honest with yourself as far as your carb tolerance. Um, it's, and I think another term is lazy keto. Yeah, the dirty lazy keto. There's yeah. actually a movement out there for dirty lazy keto. I'm like, what? Yeah. I mean, yeah, you can get benefits just by carbohydrate restriction alone, but don't you want to be optimal? I don't think we want just good enough. We want good. And people are in different situations in their life. If you can't afford grass-fed beef all the time, that's okay. Just make the best choices that you can where you're at. The goal is to, to make the best choices. So eventually getting there to the grass-fed beef and, and free-range organic it's eggs the is the goal. Right. Um, so I would just encourage people to stick with real whole food. And if you need these products on occasion, like Jimmy and I travel a lot, we rely on those products sometimes when we travel because airplane food sucks. But, you it's, know? but it's things like peely nuts, it's yeah. things like the dropping F bomb, which is just macadamia nut butter. So we're not doing like Atkins bars right. that have all kind of chemicals right. and crap, but don't eat that crap. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. I think that's where I don't, honestly, the only thing that I will do is I will add some like raw vegan protein um, to my shake sometimes if I feel like I am trying to get a little bit more protein in my diet. But that, but any, and, and the, the, the shake has, you know, whole spinach and kale and um, you know, just really good stuff in it. But I'm with you. I just, I will not eat absolutely. Like you won't catch me eating a protein bar or anything like that. I mean, my, my diet is consisting of real whole foods. Um, that whole movement of eat like you give a crap about yourself. Because mm -hmm. I was and I was drinking 16 cans of Coca-Cola a day and whole boxes of little Debbie snack cake and going to McDonald's and Taco Bell and Wendy's and all that stuff in Hampton Roads, actually. Um, mm -hmm. All those years I did that and I didn't care. It was very obvious. I did not care about what I was sticking in my mouth. But mm -hmm. when you start caring, then you start looking not just at nutrition facts, but look at ingredients that are in things. You look at an Atkins bar, which everybody thinks, oh, it's a nice low carb bar. There is so much junk in there. It's not even funny. Yeah, absolutely. All right, this next one's from Cynthia in Myrtle Beach. I've been consistently intermittent fasting for a year now, typically in a six-hour eating window each day. The longest I've ever fasted is 24 hours. I wanted to push myself to a longer fast, but I want to be safe in doing so. What are some good ways to ease into a longer fast, and what is the longest amount of time that it takes? to what is the longest amount of time that is safe to water fast? Cynthia in Myrtle Beach. 
So uh, my home state, welcome Cynthia. So uh, yeah, I have done three 21 day fasts. Mm, that's so awesome. In one of the Januarys I did 28 out of 31 days. I was trying to make it the whole month, but we had to go back home to Virginia Beach mid month and that stresses the, me out. So I would say limit your stress, then you'll be okay. She's already doing 24 hour fast. It sounds like she's pretty well keto adapted maybe because she's able to go 24 hours. I'd say just push yourself. There's no danger in going over 24 hours. Like I said, I've gone three times, 21 days. And when you did those 21 days, when you did the 21 day fast, did you, um, did you take any, like, were you just doing water? Did you take any supplements? Did you take any potassium, anything at all? Yeah, I was getting to that. So the first time I did it, no, I uh, had kombucha and I had bone broth because everybody was like, oh, you need these things. And I found they stoked hunger. I found they made it worse. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. wasn't until I gave all of those things up and stuck with just water and salt, water and sea salt. Mm -hmm. and the trick uh, when you get hungry on a longer fast is grab you a couple of pinches of that sea salt, put it under your tongue, let it kind of ooze there, gives you the sensation that you're having a meal, and then you're not hungry anymore. Um, and a lot of times, a lot of the hunger that people have on a fast, it's just their body saying, I need salt, I need water. And so I think uh, Cynthia in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, could easily go three days without eating. And here's the cool thing is all it takes is three days, 72 hours, and you get the uh, autophagy benefits that come from fasting. And that's where there's a complete turning over of the cells. You have proteins that have been hanging out in the body that are just sitting there. They're really not doing anything. It cleans those out of the body. There's so many benefits to at least pushing your body to that three full days worth of fasting. Yeah. And I think the key is really just is building up to it because I know that a lot of times you can, you know, say for someone to go from zero to 21 days, that's awesome. And that takes major, major mental power. But I think the best way for you to do it is to kind of ease into it where you do a 24 hour, then you do a, you know, two day fast and then move to a three day fast and just kind of just like running. It's literally like if I went out to, today and ran a, a full marathon, that would be just tough. You can do it, right? But but it's so difficult. And I just think the easier way to do it is kind of one on, is kind of easing your way into it. Yeah, long fast before the 21 day one. Gotcha. So yeah, and the interesting thing is once you're done it for four or five days, you feel like you can fast forever. I know you've experienced that probably too, where you start fasting for a few days and then suddenly you're like, I don't ever have to eat again. Well, the key, the key is as well is if you have any, um, if you're taking any medication, which unfortunately so much of our population is loaded down with so much medication. And what happens is, is when you're fasting with certain medication, it makes the medicine, whatever you're taking, produce so much more. So like, for example, if you're on thyroid medicine and, and you start fasting, 
your thyroid is going to function at so much optimal speeds and now you're taking this thyroid medicine. So that's that's where I've seen people who haven't been successful at fasting is when they're taking medication. That's where I've seen some issues come along. Yeah. I just spoke with a lady the other day who was keto and she has been on uh, some glyphosate, I think is one of the yeah, the uh, diabetes medication that stimulates insulin. And she was writing me saying, oh my gosh, this keto is put, giving, putting me into hypoglycemia. I'm shaky, I'm hungry, I'm all this stuff. And I'm going, so what medication? And so I look it up and it literally stimulates insulin production. Well, if you're eating keto or you're fasting, you don't need that drug because you're not stimulating where you need to have insulin stimulated. You're not having blood sugar rise. And so she was having hypo. So she came off of that medication, stuck with just the metformin, and now she's doing beautifully. She was in the 90s with her blood sugar uh, postprandial. That is perfect. Well, and the other problem is, is that most doctors who are traditional medicine, not, not a functional medicine doctor, but most, most doctors, they're not advocates for fasting. Um, keto either because they don't understand it because they don't know anything about nutrition. Hey guys, we absolutely love getting your questions into the podcast, but we're also interested in your journey. So if you've started intermittent fasting and have some success or even struggling a little bit, we want to hear about it. Email me your intermittent fasting stories to Chantel at ChantelRayWay.com. All right, this is Tracy in Fort Worth, high cholesterol runs in my family, and the last time I had blood work done, my LDL was slightly elevated. Of course, the doctor wanted me to put me on medication, but I'm not ready to do that. What can I try to reverse this naturally? I'm 40 years old and 20 pounds overweight. We've been getting a lot of high cholesterol questions lately. Oh, you want me to do you know anything about it? You want oh, to say yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. So really total cholesterol, <clears throat> uh, that number really doesn't mean anything. And even the LDL, Jimmy can explain this to you, the LDL that they use is not an actual measured number. It's a calculated number. And so um, that that number is just not been researched in the in the context of a ketogenic diet. diet kind of throws all that stuff off. So cholesterol, you need cholesterol in your body, the HDL cholesterol. And so you want to have a good level of um, HDL over um, is, is good. For women, it's easier to get it up there. We just we can know about HDL so much better. But cholesterol is actually in the body for a purpose. It's to help deal with inflammation. So I just heard from my sister yesterday, and this really troubles me. Her total cholesterol was 149, and she had a an HDL of 56. Well, I know she's got inflammation in the body, and for whatever reason, I have my suspicions, but for whatever reason, her liver is not producing cholesterol. And so the inflammation that she has in her body is not being effectively dealt with. Jimmy had a cholesterol, total cholesterol of over 400. Um, and the doctor immediately wanted to put him on a statin. He tested for uh, familiar hypoglycemia. Didn't have it. Um, but the doctor didn't look at the root cause. Why is his cholesterol high? There was a 
there was a reason he needed, uh, he had infected root canals and he had uh, mercury amalgams that needed to come out. Once he had those taken care of, his cholesterol dropped by 100 points because it, that amount of cholesterol was no longer needed. Very quickly dropped, yeah. Yeah, so don't be afraid of cholesterol. It's, it's in the reason why we're told to fear cholesterol because when somebody has a heart attack and they go in and look at the arteries, there's the cholesterol. So they automatically assume that it's the cholesterol causing the problem. It's, it's the high processed foods, it's the sugar that's causing irritation in the arteries. The cholesterol goes to the arteries to help heal those abrasions and that's what causes the closure of the arteries. It's not the cholesterol itself, it's the, it's the sugar and the high processed so the analogy we use is the arteries being inflamed is a fire and the cholesterol are the firefighters. So do we blame firefighters who are on the scene of a fire putting it out? Do we blame them for the fire? No, we wouldn't. I like that. That's a great analogy. All right, this is from Anonymous. I read something the other day about the keto diet treating fatty liver disease. I found this to be insane since the keto diet is high fat diet. This really got me thinking about how countercultural this diet can seem. For example, there are some people who thinks I should limit the amount of red meat and steaks while they are a staple of the keto diet. In the simplest way, how do you describe the benefits of a high fat diet to people who just don't get it? Anonymous. So on, uh, on the question of the fatty liver, the reason the liver got fat was not from the fat that was consumed in the diet. So it's not from the red meat, it's not from the butter, not from the coconut oil, all the things that they like to blame it on. Fatty liver happens as a direct result, number one, of fructose consumption, which is mostly sugars that we eat, but really any carbohydrate that has to get converted into sugar in the body. It all goes through the liver. So when it has to convert over and process and deal with all of that sugar, the body can't handle it and it starts to become sick. And the way it manifests as being sick is it becomes fatty. So this is why with, uh, you've heard of foie gras, so the, re the way that they blow up the liver of these, uh, was it geese that they, they force feed them corn. They force feed corn into them. They're not force feeding butter down their throats right. to make it fatty, they're doing corn. So. How do you convince people high fat's not harmful? It's a hard thing. It's like telling people Hitler was a good guy. No, he wasn't. He was a very bad guy. So everybody's mind is like, oh, but they can't get their brain to go there with saturated fat. And so the best way that I describe it is, okay, when you're removing the real enemy in your diet, the carbohydrates, you have to replace it with now a usable source of fuel, it fuels your brain. It fuels your whole body. I have energy now because I'm eating 75% fat in my diet. And if it and how much, how much weight have you lost and how much weight has your wife lost? Yeah. So it's not about weight loss. It's about health gains. Um, so in 2004, I lost 180 pounds and, and I'm still down a hundred pounds from my, from my highest. Now, you never had a weight problem. She was actually severely underweight. She's got a fascinating uh, story of health if you want to ask her about it. But um, it's been more about healing her body from the inside. Yeah, yeah. Most of what I was dealing with was on the inside. So I never really thought about my diet. Uh, I just didn't connect the 
to. And so in 2009, I went to the doctor and uh, he did my regular lab work. My triglycerides came back at 298, which was really high and brought my stuff back home to Jimmy. He goes, well, you know what to do about that. So at that point, I just cut my M&M Skittles and regular Dr. Pepper. I was still eating other crap, but I just cut out those three things. And within six weeks, my triglycerides went from 298 to 136. Huge, huge drop. And at that point, I started making the connections. I saw, I started seeing improvements in my health. Um, in 2011, I got really serious about it, and, and I was able to get off of my anti-depression uh, medications. My eyesight, for the first time in my life, actually got better, um, and my joint pain went away for the most part. You know, when it rains, I still have some issues, but um, I mean, I just, that's the, at that point, that's when I started making the connection between a ketogenic diet, a high-fat diet, and health things that I was dealing with on the inside. Um, yeah, so, gotcha. and I wanted to mention the red meat thing. A lot of times when um, people talk about red meat, they clump it in together with these processed meats like hot dogs or pepperoni or things that there's no distinction. And so red meat in and of itself, there's really no problem with it. I mean, it's got, especially if you do the organ meats, I mean, there's a lot of micronutrition in those things. So you can't, you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater when you talk about red meat because they clump it all in with these high processed meats. Mm, gotcha. All right, this is next question is Tony in New York. I'm in my first week of keto and I'm having severe aches in my arms and legs. I haven't been doing anything out of the ordinary as far as workouts, so I can't help but wonder if this is related to my diet change. I started Googling and saw that this is common when transitioning to keto, and one reason I saw was that my salt levels could be low. My whole life I've been trying to limit my salt, and I've heard it's especially bad for women in weight loss. Now I'm hearing that I should start adding more salt to my food, and even in my water to avoid these aches. Is this true and why? So here's the deal with salt. Just for, there's a very small segment of the population that does have a salt sensitivity. And you will know it, your doctor would have told you if you're one of those people. For most of us, let's just say you have a normal blood pressure of 120 over 80. It would take 7.5 grams of salt, which is about a teaspoon and a half or a teaspoon and a quarter of, of salt get to, thirsty thinking about it to raise your blood pressure six points which is still considered in the normal range that's a lot of salt so we don't need to fear salt um, as far as the arm and leg cramps yes it's highly likely that it is an electrolyte imbalance because when you do start keto you have all of your glycogen stores in your muscles and when dump all that fluid you're dumping electrolytes as well so it's a good idea to find an electrolyte um, supplementation that has a, a mixture of them in there because it's dangerous to get too much potassium i mean too low potassium is just as dangerous as too much potassium it could be fatal so you need to find an electrolyte supplement that has a good mixture of them already in there. That way you know you're getting the right amounts. So if you're having those arm cramps or leg cramps, what I do when I find that I have that, 
I will, especially during the night, I will get up, get my water bottle, put some electrolytes in there, drink it, and I'm fine. It goes away within about 45 minutes. Yeah, those electrolytes, um, those electrolyte tablets that you can buy, I think are fantastic. Yeah, yeah, we use, we use several different kinds. We do have the capsules, and then we do have ones that come in in a powder form that I like to mix with my water. So if you're traveling, I like to use little packets or the capsules at home. I just like to scoop it out. Um, so they're really good. All right, this next one is from Jennifer in Lancaster. Can you help me settle the keto alcohol debate once and for all? I'm told if you like things like whiskey and vodka, they don't contain carbs. So to my understanding, if I drink them with soda water or something like a Diet Pepsi or Crystal Light, it should be a carb-free drink. So why do some people say you can't drink alcohol and stay in ketosis? I've cut out wine and beer and felt this was a good alternative. Also along these lines, I've been told that flavored vodkas don't have carbs in them, but can't understand how this is true. Something about sugar being cooked out. Can I, how can I lose and still cut my weight at the same, uh, sorry, it says, how can I cut loose and still cut my weight at the same time? Jennifer in Lancaster. Jennifer, Jennifer, Jennifer. <laughs> you need to decide what your goal is, sweetheart. Do you want to be a boozer <laughs> on the footloose uh, floor, or do you want to lose weight and get healthy? Now, that's not to say you can't ever have alcohol. We don't drink except on the low-carb cruise. That's about the only time we drink. Um, but when you do drink, you can do, like, harder liquors. Whiskey's a little higher in sugar, so I'm not sure where she heard whiskey, but vodka for sure is a good one. Um, and, and mix it. Uh, there's this uh, vodka, lime juice, and, uh, and mint, and yeah, you can make kind of a mojito, and then if you need to put a little bit of liquid stevia in there to sweeten it up a bit, that's fine, uh, and soda water. But I want you to think about what's your goal here? Is your goal yeah. to live it up, or is your goal to live long? I choose the latter. Well, and the liver has to deal with that alcohol first right. before it deals with any fat. So if you're drinking alcohol, the liver is going to prioritize um, dealing with that alcohol before it ever taps into your fat stores. Yeah. And I, if you go to ChantelRayWay.com slash wine, I have a great wine on there that is low sugar. It is... Um, absolutely the lowest sugar most organic wine that you can do and i'm getting ready to do a wine episode on our next next show is all about wine so i suggest drinking while you're doing the podcast <laughs> i need to i might i'm not a big drinker but i will tell you this is the only wine that i can drink where i can have a glass of wine and the next day i feel like a million bucks because there's uh it's just so clean and and that's that's the thing is about what you're drinking, how clean is it, and how low sugar it is. All right, so Jimmy told me the other day that if I had a question that he'd never been asked before, he would give me a prize. And so this came in from a listener that I think is pretty unique, so I'm going to give it a go and see if you've ever had it before. It's from Anonymous. I started the keto diet in the first two days. I had the worst stomach cramps and uncontrollable bright yellow liquid diarrhea. I've never seen diarrhea this color. It was the color of a highlighter. 
I went back to normal eventually, but it was still alarming. Have you ever heard of this and what would be the cause? Yeah, so if, if your stool is that color, then you're not digesting your fats properly. Your gallbladder is most not able to break down those fats. Because of previous low fat diets, right? Right, exactly. So what you're seeing in the stool is the undigested fats. Um, and so we, we, uh, we like to say, you know, if, if somebody's having problems, does your poop float or sink? If it sinks, you're good. If it floats, it's undigested fats. That's probably what it is. Um, it's probably a digestive issue. And what you might need to do is take some digestive enzymes to help yes. break down those fats. Um, and slowly, what, what I would recommend in the beginning, if you're having trouble like that, liquid butter and coconut oil, you want a healthy mix of all the fats because each different type of fat plays a different role in dealing with inflammation. So if you're if you're heavy on one, then you're not gonna be able to properly deal with inflammation. But in the beginning, stick with butter and coconut oil, those don't need bile to break them down. And then start taking the digestive enzymes. And then once you, you know, you can slowly add in those other types of, of saturated fats and monounsaturated fats and polyunsaturated fats so the more you, you eat eating them it's a slow process but oh darn butter and coconut oil <laughs> <laughs> yeah well thank you guys so much for being on the show um sometimes our guests want to give away something maybe a book if we do a facebook post what would you like to give away today anything you'd like to give away so uh, we want to give a copy of our latest book uh, together. So we're going to give away an autographed copy of Real Food Keto. Awesome. That's our latest book. Um, yeah. And does it have a lot of great recipes in it? It has 50 recipes from probably the most famous uh, ketogenic recipe maker out there, Maria Emmerich. She's a really good friend of ours. In fact, Maria and I wrote the very first ketogenic cookbook. Wow. So uh, after Keto Clarity, which was my uh, first big book, uh, took off, they, uh, my publisher wanted a cookbook. So that one has 150 recipes. Um, in fact, you know what? I'll throw in a bonus. A second person will win the ketogenic cookbook. All right, we'll do it. That's awesome. All right, well, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see it there. Thanks guys so much for being on our show. You guys were a blast. And if you have a question that you want answered, go to questions at ChantelRayway.com. We'll see you next time, guys. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at ChantelRayway.com. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayway.com. Com slash coaching. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.